Today's show is sponsored by Artifact. Artifact sets you up with one of their professional interviewers to capture stories about important people or things in your life. Think of it like a podcast episode about whatever you want. You and I have recorded our Artifact, and, and people will be able to now hear us tell the story of the origins of our friendship and what eventually led to the creation of the podcast. How did you like that experience? Uh, I did like it. It was relatively cathartic. Um, yep. People are always asking us how the show got started. How did we make it as journalists? And now we have a 20 minute interview telling that story that we can send people. We did the interview. It was easy. They sent us a link. And when I clicked on it, the interviewer was waiting for us. The questions got us thinking about some stuff we hadn't really thought about for a while. Bruce, you brought up somehow you remember that I wrote a Wisconsin team preview in the 1998 ESPN, the magazine, college football preview so good for you on that encyclopedic uh memory yeah and credit to one of our former co-workers for saying this guy won't last here maybe we'll send him to si but uh down the road who knows maybe you'll work together at some point and here we are <laughs> if you'd like to hear that artifact here's how you listen to it go to heyartifact.com slash creations slash the audible and you'll get to hear the story of the audible and when you're ready to do your own artifact, use code AUDIBLE to get $40 off your first one. That's heyartifact.com. Use promo code AUDIBLE for $40 off. Welcome back to The Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Bruce Feldman, joined as always by Stuart Mandel. And we've had a long week, Stu, Steve, Stu, already. It's been such a long week that you've forgotten my name after all these years. I know. Wouldn't you rather have been Steve Mandel, though? Um, No, I'm I'm happy with my name. Apparently you're not. Well, it's not that. I mean, I just think Steve Steve is a little cooler name than Stu. But anyway. Don't you ever wonder, like, if, you know, how much a person's name kind of dictates what their life ends up? Like, if I was Steve Mandel... I don't know. What, what would I be? A uh, radio DJ? Nobody would call uh, you. Uh, Dave wants that wouldn't call you derogatorily. I don't know if that's even the right word. Stewie. Do you like Stewie? No, of course I don't like Stewie. I, I'm fine with it from him. I'll, he can call me whatever the heck he wants. But, you know, I think most people now associate that name with the uh, with the uh, character on Family Guy. But um, we're a little bit loopy, if you haven't noticed already. I uh, haven't slept much this week. There's been... Uh, quite a little bit to cover, and obviously, none of it is good. Uh, the Big Ten and the Pac-12 canceling their seasons on Tuesday. It's like, I don't know about you, it's just, it's we spent, we've covered big stories before, right? Whether it was conference realignment, or the day USC got the sanctions of all sanctions, or certainly the Penn State scandal. It's different when it affects you personally. You know, like we have to cover the news of the fact that these two conferences canceled their season and are not, and, and it still doesn't really hasn't sunk in. There's going to be no big 10 or Pac-12 football this fall. And so you're writing about it and you're calling people and you're, you're trying to process it. But like at the end of the day, like this is, this really sucks. Like this is really depressing. I'm, I'm struggling to comprehend how, what this fall is going to be like for us. And for you in particular, you know, 
that's two thirds of the conferences that Fox has games for. So I know it's been really hard for you. Yeah, I think it it obviously affects us personally. Um, I think it also affects us professionally, or at least you know it certainly feels like it could for me and my colleagues at Fox Sports. I had done a. Uh, it was on on Wednesday. I went on Holly Rose podcast or on her radio show, excuse me, um, and with Gabe Eichard and the Big Twelve. And so we were. Holly asked me about how's this going to work, uh, you guys and us each, us being Fox and ESPN, both share the Big Twelve. And I jokingly said, "Listen, Holly, you guys also still have the ACC." and the sec so please back off and 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 save the texas tech baylor games and those for us because you know right now i think we're 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 clinging to whatever college football we can get you know and i think when a lot of people may have rolled their eyes when they saw oh texas tech scheduled houston baptists i would love to watch texas tech against houston baptist um it's 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 a rough time right and i just think that it's 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 a microcosm, obviously, of something much bigger than that, right? And, you know, I'm, I ho- a lot of our listeners, I'm sure, are dealing with economic realities that are really, really gutting um, as they relates to perhaps their own jobs or the f- jobs of their family members or friends. And, I mean, it's it's a it's a rough rabbit hole to, to go down, right? I mean, I think what's, what's probably a little different or maybe a lot different as it relates to college football is, you know, obviously it's our livelihoods, but it's also such an escape for, you know, anybody certainly listens to this podcast because obviously college football fans, but to see the sports world, because I I think of it through this prism to some degree, um, you know, I've watched more hockey in the last week than I would have ever probably had in the previous two years. And I watched, I love the NBA, so I was going to watch that anyway, but those things have been very, very, uh, enjoyable and probably in a, in a different way than they used to be. Right. Because just, you know, it's been a, a diversion. It's been something where there's an aspect of normalcy to it. And, you know, to not have college football just on, on a personal level is so significant. And, you know, then you start drilling down deeper and I think I did, uh, some big 10 network hits. And I started thinking, you know, like these, some of these stories and the one that resonated with me initially was Jonathan Cooper from Ohio state could have gone to the NFL, wanted to stay for another year, became a captain with his teammates and they try to do everything they can. Right. And still not good enough. And the league just through their medical experts determined it's not safe for them to try and play. And so here we are. I mean, it's what I tried to convey. I wrote a column that was basically, um, you know, a, a, a place for us all to mourn. And while I'm not going to in any way equate the loss of college football to the loss of lives from COVID-19 or the people losing their jobs or their businesses, at the end of the day, you know, it's more than an escape to a lot of people. I mean, first of all, for the players themselves, who's, who's you know, this is their careers, their, their um, some of them, their seniors, this is their last chance to play college football. This was you know, 98% of them are not going to be playing football again. Uh, but then there are those obviously also trying to get themselves, you know, to, to um, in the best possible position for the draft. I mean, this is just devastating for those people. It's also devastating for the millions and millions of people out there who spend their falls getting in, you know, in some cases getting in RVs, but getting in their cars, tailgating all day, 
Um, some of them have had the same ticket, the same seat in the same stadium, the same season ticket for 30 years. Some of them, you know, they went to the same school that their parents went to, that their grandparents went to. I mean, this is more than just entertainment. This is their, this is their lot, you know, their, their life passion. And, you know, I, I, you know, I get emotional just thinking about the idea that there's going to be no games at the horseshoe this fall, um, or Beaver stadium or you name it. Um, all that being said, one, and you did the story, you talked to the medical experts behind the PAC-12's report, and you read that report, and certainly I think what we've all learned in the last few days is how much these conferences got, um, you know, they were already concerned, obviously, but the final straw seems to be the revelation that um, at least 10 players in the Big Ten and some players in other conferences had uh, a heart complication from COVID-19. And this really scared people, plus the fact that they didn't feel confident in the Pac-12 that they were going to be able to do the amount of testing that they feel is necessary to to do this safely. Um, you read that document, it's a 12-page document, and you listen to the, you know, there was a webinar they did, and doctor from Oregon State was on there. And it's hard to say they made the wrong decision. You know, everybody, there's a lot of emotions running high right now, and there's a lot of people all around the country who are furious especially in the big 10 where I've really, you know, whether it's Scott Frost or Nebraska or who are, you know, Ohio state fans, there's a lot of people furious at Kevin Warren right now for this decision. But I can't read that document and say they made the wrong decision. Maybe four months from now, if the other conferences successfully play a season, you know, it'll be, they'll be able to look back at those guys and say like, boy, you were, boy, did you make the wrong call? But right now, I mean, I can understand why a conference would say there's too much uncertainty. There is, there are too many risks here to proceed with this. Yeah. When I started working on the Pac-12 story, uh, it was really Monday night. I had heard about this PowerPoint that it was one of the medical experts who's a cardiologist who also works with the Seattle Seahawks and he's a University of, Was uh, University of Washington doctor on their committee. And um, this PowerPoint included the Indiana freshman offensive lineman, Brady Feeney, who was one of those players in the Big Ten you mentioned. Uh, his mom had spoken up on social media about him being rushed to the ER and worries about heart issues. Uh, it had mentioned a 19-year-old uh, former high school football player who passed away from COVID recently. It had mentioned a couple of other instances that were very disturbing. And so I started hearing from, from coaches then. And then our story went up, uh, went up Thursday morning because I had done a bunch of reporting on it Wednesday, but wanted to hear from more coaches for their, for their perspective on it. And it was jolting. Now, one of the coaches I talked to said, you know, I was pretty much in this place mentally a, a month ago. But some of the other coaches were so it, it, you know, one of them put it to me as like, look, a lot of people in that room, ADs and coaches, they were probably thinking about things in one way. Hey, maybe we can make this, you know, thread this needle and try to keep playing. And after that, it was like, what are we doing? What are we doing? It really hit close to home. Um, you know, and this isn't in the story, but it was something that, that one of the coaches had, had said when we were talking about it. He said, listen, I love football. It's all that I know, but come on, like, what are we doing? And they talk about, when you start talking about heart issues, and again, it's where, and I don't want to give away all the story, but like one of the the takeaways in the at the final at the end of the story was 
this one coach said, I don't know what the other conferences information they're getting because they're not getting the information we got. And could they say they just felt like there was too much information and too much uncertainty for them to feel comfortable going forward. And one of the things that that really I, I've noticed that on social media that gets kind of kicked around a little bit as well. If, if you're saying it's OK for regular students to be back on campus, wh- like, why is this different? And what was, you know, underscored in that meeting and when you talk to these people who are on that call was it is different because you're not talking about getting together and tackling each other, breathing on each other, sweating on each other, doing nine on seven drill, 100 guys. There's no social distancing that can happen in, in, uh, when you're playing football. And so they said that is the biggest difference. And it is different. And it adds when you're worried about the spread on campus, especially when they're expecting the regular students come back, they're expecting there to be likely surges on the campus. And then you're just putting more people at risk. And when you were talking, as you alluded to, um, in our story, we talked about this, where the Pac-12 recommendation was some of these schools in hotspots, I think it was five schools, would have to get up, ramp up to the point where they were testing daily. And they did not think in a couple of those places they would be able to even do that till November. So it, it's just a, I don't know, it's just a very sobering perspective on things. And and we'll see where this goes if the other conferences, you know, still determine they're going to push forward and, you know, keep playing. I mean... I, I don't know. It's a very like the people in the Pac-12 felt uh, their experts were telling them something. The one thing you mentioned, Kevin Warren, that I wondered about was when he spoke and I, all the credit to Dave Revson from BTN, who pressed Kevin Warren on a bunch of things and on specifics. What I wondered about is if you know that there are going to be uh, if you know that that some of this information eventually gets out there and the athletic and Nicole Auerbach had reported on it a little after that was saying there were at least 10 student athletes in the big 10 who they think are suffering from this issue, heart related issues. I'm not saying name the names, but if you're in that, when everybody is watching you, doesn't it behoove you to reveal some of that information at least? Because I think that probably puts it in more context. And what I wonder about is will these people have a, you know, does it help inform other people who are in the decision-making process to get more information to, to make that decision? I'm not even talking about like, you know, is it shutting up somebody on Twitter who's just skeptical? I think it's just in terms of like, is it giving the full picture to a lot of other people that this is a concern? Because it's one thing for you to say, hey, we can test for this. We can identify the guys who have these heart issues. What some of the coaches in the Pac-12 told me is, we don't even think it, it should get to that point if this is a concern. If because what happens when they get the heart issues, and that's the that was their their big takeaway. Back to the podcast in a second, but first a word about one of our favorite sponsors, Bruce Chicken Ribs, chicken that tastes like ribs. We've both had it. We both enjoyed it, right? Yes, and honestly, it tastes like college football because you can feel like a weekend tailgate, and it's filling. It's healthy. What more could you ask for? Yeah, I had it, you know, I, I got the first batch uh, a couple weeks ago and I'm planning to put it on the grill again this weekend. It's uh, authentic dry barbecue spice rub with real hickory wood smoke. It's healthy, like Bruce said, 75 less 
75% less fat and calories than traditional pork ribs. It's convenient, fully cooked, just heat and eat. Perfect for a tailgate or during Corona, having a tailgate at home. And it's free, two-day shipping, nationwide, vacuum packaged, right from the smokehouse. Great barbecue takes time, but Chicken Ribs makes it easy. Go to chickenribs.com, use code AUDIBLE today to get $10 off, plus free two-day shipping. Who doesn't love perfectly smoked meat for the big game, whether at home or at a tailgate? That's chickenribs.com. Use promo code AUDIBLE for $10 off, plus free two-day shipping. So two points I want to make. One, you know, no commissioner in the country gets more flack than Larry Scott. No, no conferences fans are dislike their commissioner more than the Pac-12s. But I'll give them credit for the way they've handled this whole process. Um, I think that you know you didn't hear about any of the discord within the conference that you heard. You've certainly seen in the Big Ten. Um, and then once it came time to announce this decision, you know, agree with it or not, they did a great job articulating the reasons why. Kevin Warren, who we're all still pretty unfamiliar with, he just took over as commissioner this year. I mean, this is a monumental announcement, you know, especially in that part of the country. No Big Ten football this year. And their entire explanation of it consisted of like a seven-minute Kevin Warren interview on Big Ten Network. He offered no real specifics. He just kept saying the uncertainty, the uncertainty. You know, the Pac-12 put out the full document of all the, rec- all, you know, all the reasoning that their doctors gave them, why they weren't. You know, they basically said, like, we don't recommend proceeding with contact activities right now. The Big Ten has given none of that. Um, and I think the most confusing part of all in terms of like the clunkiness of their whole rollout is that literally five or six days before they announced the schedule. So they came out, big fanfare. Here's our new schedule. Uh, here's when the Ohio State Michigan game is going to be, et cetera, et cetera. Yes, they kept saying, they kept putting the caveat that this doesn't guarantee the season's going to be played. But come on, if you're a Big Ten player or a Big Ten coach, you're like game on. And then you know, within two days of that, the reports start coming out that, you know what, they're on the verge of canceling. And that, of course, is what led to the uprising, right? The, the we want to play movement, um, you know, that, that so that now they really become the bad guys because the players and the coaches and some very high profile coaches at that made it clear that they wanted to play. So um, second point, I, I guess I shouldn't be surprised at this point. You would think that that, you know. The, the facts are the facts. The virus, it's the same virus in Eugene, Oregon, as it is in Gainesville, Florida. But we have one set of doctors saying, guys, you can't go through with this. And we've got three other sets of doctors at three other conferences who are saying, we know the same facts they do, and we still feel comfortable um, proceeding. And in particular with myocarditis, I mean, we've, you know, at The Athletic, we've heard that from people within the SEC saying, oh, we've known about that since April. You know, what? why is this coming as a shock to them now? Like, we know we know the deal. We test for it. We have, you know, if, if, if somebody's coming back from COVID-19, having tested positive for COVID-19, we can run the tests. And if they do have it, we, we shut them down for six months. And they are accepting that. And to your point earlier, you know, my I see that and I think, if this is serious enough that if somebody gets it, they have to shut down for six months, they have to redshirt for the season. You know, me personally, I'm of why are we doing this then? But they feel that's an acceptable level of risk. And I'm not a doctor. I'm not going to say which one's right and which one's wrong. But I would at least like to hear their reasoning. And just to be put it on the record, the athletic has made several requests to the SEC to speak to their medical panel and have them explain why they think it's okay to proceed. And we have not had those requests granted. So 
we continue. The SEC also, by the way, has, you know, most Big Ten schools tell you how many of their players have tested positive. Almost none of the SEC schools reveal that information. So they are just saying, hey, trust us. Our doctors tell us this is safe. We're doing a great job containing it. We're going to play. And we have to take their word for it. One thing I wondered about in the course of the reporting on my story was how much sharing of information has there been between medical experts, even between conference commissioners? Because, and you and I talked about this. I remember texting you. I don't know when it was. It it came out of the SEC, uh, came, sorry, it came out of the real sports piece where they interviewed Greg Sankey and there was a really awkward moment where Sankey gets pressed on, on uh, specifics and what he will disclose and what he won't. And my takeaway from that, like I took a step back and I thought, you know, Greg Sankey knows this information within his conference. And so he know, he, sh- he should know the reality. And so maybe Greg Sankey, is, you know, we both met him. I think we both like him. I think we both think he's very intelligent, that he has that information. And so if he's if he and the leadership around him is that comfortable to press forward, they, in, you would think, are not getting any very disturbing information that they're finding out within their teams, right? And so just like with the Big Ten, now that, again, as you would think it would behoove the Big Ten to say, hey, this is part of why we made this decision, um, then that would add up to it. Now, so I had asked one of the medical experts involved in this, I said, how much sharing of information is going on? And this particular person had said, well, we have professional relationships with some of these colleagues, but it's it didn't seem like... Um, is there a registry out there between between all these leagues to say, okay, this is what we're finding? Because you would you would think, and obviously I'm not a doctor either, but sharing that information you would think would help the people who are in the decision making process be able to make more informed decisions. And so, I mean, I feel like that's kind of a TBD, and maybe we'll find out more along the process of that because. And, and and maybe there is something to be said for how people are reading MRIs and and different people. I forgot who maybe this is may have been a John Wilner thing, but using the term like this is a little bit of a raw shot test where three different people, in this case maybe five different people, and you multiply it by you know the Pac-12 has over twenty med- people on their medical advisory panel can see it a different way. And as you said a minute ago, it's like at some point you have to trust the people involved to make the best decision and the people they are working on behalf of. And it's, I think it's okay for people to be skeptical of, of, of that, but it's like, I guess you trust what you can trust at that point. I also think we can't ignore the elephant in the room. Um, you know, it just so, I don't think it's a coincidence that this is splitting almost along the same geographic lines of, how the whole pandemic has been handled around the country and um, don't underestimate the political pressure. You know, you talk about Greg, Greg Sankey's extremely smart guy. Um, He also has constituents. He has, you know, the governor of Florida saying, putting pressure on them to play. Um, Obviously the president of the United States is putting pressure on them to play, you know, and I think, if you're, if you're one of those doctors that's advising the SEC, do you really want to be the one to tell them they can't play football in the SEC? 
you know, the, the, the guys that did it in the Pac-12, I mean, can do that with the comfort of knowing that the, I guess, environment of those schools and those states is one that where they're going to, you know, the, the, the passion and clamoring for football, you know, it's is there, but it's not as intense as it is in the South. And so they can feel confident that if they issue these recommendations that the conference is going to go forward with it and people are disappointed, obviously, not to see football this year, but they are generally accepting of the rationale. I saw an article um, one of the Colorado beat writers wrote um, where he talked to a bunch of the parents of the players and, you know, they were relieved. Most of them were relieved because they were really worried about um, the concerns for their children. You might write the same exact article about an SEC team and the parents would be like incredulous at the idea of canceling the season. I don't know. So uh, like all things right now in this country, it's it's like I use the phrase on Twitter. It's like two different universes. I was on a Zoom call um, the night the Pac-12 got canceled with Chip Kelly at UCLA. And he's like, you know, yesterday, this week, yesterday was Monday. It's the first time that we as coaches have been allowed back in the building. Um, right now, I believe in L.A., Bruce, you would know better than anybody. They are not actually allowed to practice. Even if the Pac-12 said the season's on, you can start, you know, camp tomorrow. Those schools are not allowed to practice. And yet on Twitter, on a given day, I can see pictures of Florida State going through regular football practice. Clemson saw a picture of Trevor Lawrence throwing a shovel pass to Travis Etienne. So it's like it, it's 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 wild right now. It's like one part of the country is just shut it down. And the other part is is full speed ahead. Um, before we you, before we you, transition, I one quick yeah. question. Yeah. So how do you feel about this? I mean, that's it, kind of it sounds like a joke, but it's like, you know, on one hand, we both love college football as much as anybody. It's also our livelihoods. I mean, if the other three leagues somehow do go on, are you conflicted? Are you like, I mean, we're going to watch. I mean, I'm, yeah, it's, conflicted is the word for it. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. I mean, in in a vacuum, no, you know, I mean, look, I, (laughs) I, I was looking at a calendar the other day or yesterday, last night, and I saw the date September 12th and immediately, you know, the first thought in my head was, oh, that's the day of the Ohio state Oregon game. Well, not anymore. Um, like in a, in a, in a bubble, of course I want to watch SEC football this fall and Big 12 football this fall. In the real world, like I said, knowing what I read in that Pac-12 document and, and, you know, first of all, I'm operating under an assumption, hopefully I'll be proven wrong, that this is all going to be moot because in a few weeks, the as the students move back to college campuses, the cases are going to spike so dramatically as 18, 19-year-olds go around and party that it's just it it's going to infiltrate the football team and and that's going to be that. Hopefully I'm wrong. Um but yeah, I would be very conflicted watching college, you know if if they're going to play this fall. I mean, I'm going to cover it and uh and I'm going to write about it and you know, hopefully for those 3 hours you just you put all that stuff out of your head and you escape and you watch and you enjoy the games, but as of this moment, we you know, we've spent 4 or 5 months talking about this. We've always known it was a possibility. And so from a very early time, I mean, I want to say early April, you, me, and Andy had a group text story where we talked about what we think of, you know, if they had to delay it to the spring, what would that look like? And I've had like multiple iterations of that in columns. And now we're actually here. You know, these two conferences have shut down. The coaches have already come out and said, we want to try to play in the spring. And on Twitter, you mentioned like Jeff Brom put out this really detailed plan on, uh, 
uh, the morning we're recording this and it was pretty cool to read and I put it out there and like now it's gone from you're rooting against football in the fall by daring to suggest that they might cancel it to are you nuts? They can't play football in the spring. Like this would be a terrible idea. And that I don't get. Like if you love college football, I don't I don't know if it can work. But what, shouldn't we pursue it? Shouldn't we try it? Um, you know, I would much rather watch even an abbreviated college football season in February and March and April. And hey, by the way, maybe fans can come by then. Then no football at all this fall. Back to the podcast in a second. But first, let's hear from our friends at Indochino. I think the question that, and again, I can't read into the into the minds of the people who may be tweeting at you or tweeting about it. But one of the things that I think does come up is, well, if you're telling me you don't think it's safe to play in September, October, what convinces you that it's going to be safe to play in January, February, March? And look, I mean, you know, I talked to people for that Pac-12 story. You and I both uh, listened to the webinar from the Pac-12 experts. I know there is some considerable skepticism that we will be in a place with the virus because I think that part doesn't get doesn't get kind of underscored enough we'll be in a good place with the virus that they will be able to play uh, one of the things that the Pac-12 medical experts thought could happen was that that we as a country and and around here would be uh, in a better place from a testing capacity and that they would have more efficient and quicker tests and that would help in a big way for that process. Hopefully that the case numbers will be down. Who knows, though? It's I mean, you know, technically it's into the flu season. And that yeah. was something that I think concerned people um, like the, the part that and we've talked about this a lot before. The part that I do not pay a ton of mind to is the fact that, oh, well, Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields and a bunch of really good players at Ohio State and Clemson are leave so they won't play. It's like, no, that's not going to stop people if they think they can play and it's the last resort that, you know, some of the top tier teams are going to lose really good players. I mean, that'll be the bigger issue if it's found that it's safe and God willing, there's a vaccine by then that certainly would help that you would think um, is this is that how do you juggle? And this is part of what you said with Jeff Brom. It's also part of what Lincoln Riley had talked a little bit about uh, months ago is what is the schedule format? How do you manage the potential wear and tear on college athletes of, of potentially playing two seasons in the course of, I don't know, nine, 10 months? And I think that's a real concern, but I don't think it's going to be, wait, they're going to play 15 games in the spring and then they're going to play 15. First of all, only Clemson was playing 15 games, you know, at that point. And I think that you know, maybe there, maybe the season is an eight game season. And then maybe next year in the fall of 2021, maybe it's an eight to 10 game season and the rosters are going to be bigger anyway, you would think. Yeah. So I don't Look, know. Brom, I got a text from him or I don't know when I first woke up yesterday, he had seen that I'd written a story about here are the questions that would need to be answered. And he was like, I'm working on a full plan today. I'm going to send it to you tomorrow. It turns out they sent it to the whole media. And it has all that stuff in it. Um, you know, in his scenario, it's an eight-game season in the spring, a 10-game season in the fall. I think, realistically, nobody's going to go for a plan that affects the 2021 season. You could delay it. I don't think you could shorten it. Um, but he takes into account, you know, he's to the, the whole wear and tear part of it. Like, first of all, he points out that, as it is now, the players are doing some sort of, you know, whether it's winter conditioning, spring football, summer like they are working all year round 
in his plan, you give them the whole summer off. And then you also reduce the number of, um, you know, in the NFL, they don't do a lot of full contact practices during the week. In the college, they do quite a few. So he's like, we would just reduce the number of padded practices. He has this whole chart where by the time you would get to the end of, by the time you get to the end of a, a, a current college football season, most teams have done 144 padded practices. That's the teams that actually uh, go to bowl games in, in two straight years. Under his format, it's only it's like almost half that, 64 padded practices. There are ways to manage that. Also, by the way, yeah, I think there's a lot of people on Twitter who just assume they know that it's more dangerous. But we haven't actually heard from the doctors on that because they haven't actually been asked to study that yet. So I don't know if it's feasible, but I think you got to try. I don't know why you – I mean, they've spent the past four months trying everything possible to make a fall season work. Conference-only games – Here's which division teams they should play. Here's how often we'll test. I mean, aren't you going to at least try? <laughs> you got to at least try. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But you at least got to try to save it for the spring, both for the players' sake, for the players who are losing a season of football. And also, you know, all we've heard all along is how devastated these athletic departments are going to be. Uh, Nebraska, as they've gone on this road campaign against the Big Ten, Scott Frost pointing out that they're going to lose I think he said 80 to $100 million. The only way to get some of that back is to play football in the spring. One other thought on that front, Stu, is now because of the GPS tracking data, trainers and coaches have way more access to how their athletes are performing. Their bodies are taking the wear and tear toll during practice in real time. So that they have a better gauge on that than they ever did before, too. Also, an interesting side note, the NCAA uh, yesterday came out with their recommendations that, you know, to deal with all of this uncertainty, that players who lose 50% of their, you know, what would normally be their regular season. So in football, that's six games out of 12. If they lose them either because of, you know, that's just how end long the season ends up being or because they opt out, they get that year back. It's not going to cost them a year of eligibility. So knowing that, I mean, you could just do it like they do in the NBA and give guys enough weeks off that first to help with their bodies, but also that they won't lose their year of eligibility to play if it's uh, you know two thirds the length of a regular season. There's a lot of ways to do it. We're very, very early in the staging of that. As of now, I think most people are focused on the three conferences that are the three power five conferences that are trying to play as well as three other conferences. Um, I've started, this will go up tomorrow on The Athletic, I've started working on a revised top 25 when you take out all of the teams that aren't playing anymore. I'll say this, if they do play, it's going to be the strangest season you've ever seen in your life. I mean, teams that on paper you would say, yeah, they're okay, suddenly become top 10 teams. Or the SEC playing a 10-game schedule means a lot of teams, you know, Auburn could be a very good football team that goes 5-5 five and five and finishes... 22nd in the in the final AP poll. The American, you know who's the big winner in all this if this proceeds? The American. Suddenly Cincinnati, UCF, Memphis, they were going to be ranked 21st before. Now they're going to be ranked 10th or 12th by process of elimination. Um, and then, of course, just the, the crazy like last-minute schedule some of these teams are coming. BYU lost like two-thirds of their opponents, and now they're, they added Navy, and they added this team and that team. So um, it, there's a lot to sort out there. Uh, I think for this week's podcast, we just kind of wanted to focus on 
the news of the week and 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 what it means. Who knows where things will stand by the time we come back next week? Um, and if it if we start to feel more confident that these other leagues are really truly going to play, um, then we're going to want to start talking about what the season's going to look like and who do we think is going to win it all and all those things. But it still kind of seems pretty distant right now. Guys, we didn't do the mailbag this week because most of the questions you sent have been rendered outdated by this week's news or we knew we were going to talk about it anyway. Please send your questions to the audiblepod at gmail.com and hopefully we can pick that back up next week. We'll see you next time.